Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Jill Van Jean. Jill is the CEO of Fatso High Performance Peanut Butter. Uh, you might have seen her on Dragon's Den. That's basically the Canadian version of Shark's Tank where she uh, got a bunch of investments from the sh- uh, dragons. That's pretty cool. Uh, but this is an awesome, uh, awesome, awesome uh, episode. She talks about her recovery and talks a lot of deep stuff. It was so good. I hope you guys enjoy uh, please check me out on Instagram. It's at NoorKidY. We're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. And uh, yeah, like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. But let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Jill Van Jean. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with Jill Van Jean. Jill, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a cool podcast, um, I, and I'm really interested in your story, and like, I'll, I'll tell everybody, uh, you run right now Fatso High Performance Peanut Butter, that's based yep. in uh, Victoria, and you have such yep. a story of like uh, how you got there. Um, maybe you want to, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you want to jump into it right now, maybe give my audience a little bit of an uh, intro. Into yeah, it. yeah, sure. Um it's interesting because like I, when I think about like God, yay or nay, I mean, if anybody is like wanting to know my answer to that question, mine would be maybe <laughs> I'm not in the camp of yay or nay. Um, so my story is very, uh, when I, when I look back on it, and I reflect on it, like my story that my story now and my story of um, getting clean and starting a business is it's actually all these questions these existential questions have come up for me throughout my life I can't say I I was very existential when I was in addiction because I didn't have a lot of space for that um but it became like a you know ever since I got clean I've been having like these these different periods in my life like these extremes of ups and downs these extremes of like grief and loss and wins and like success and like I have often started to think about like it's made me very existential it's made me think like what the fuck right like i like i i'm now i i have difficulty making sense of the world and sometimes i you know i i get quite introspective about it so um but i guess i'll just start from like the time i got clean because honestly like that's really where my 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 whole foray into like spirituality and um and into all things existential started um i got clean in um august of 2010 so it'll be 11 years this year and uh i had spent about 15 years in addiction and i was at the end uh suicidal i attempted suicide uh twice um and uh just really was like i saw no way out like i was just like i'm either gonna use till i die or i'm just gonna do it myself like there just had there was no meaning in my life I didn't care about anything I had lost all ambition I wasn't you know I was super unemployable um and 
things just came to a head um, and I was forced to go to treatment. And interesting, like my first, the first time I went to treatment, um, I was not um, ready to go at all. And I actually had um, tried to kill myself. My parents were like, she needs to get clean. And um, my, uh, my parents, like I remember begging my parents to drop me off at our local, um, at our local mental, mental, mental institution. Oh, nice. um, yeah, just being like, because it was easier for me to make sense of like going and getting sane for, you know, spending a couple of weeks in, you know, the, this facility um, and then coming out and having this sort of reset and then going back to using. Cause like, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine my life without using. Mm. Um, so they, they drove right by Eric Martin pavilion where I was hoping that they would drop me um, and straight up to a, a recovery center in um, on Vancouver Island. And uh you know, I, I just knew from the minute I stepped foot in there that like, it was, a, it was a clock. It was ticking down to when I could use again. Like I just, I was not into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That is also where I met my current husband. Oh, nice. <laughs> my current husband, my only husband. My husband. Yeah. Um, he was in there when I, when I was there the first time and we, we didn't, we didn't, you know, um, get together until much later, but or not even that much later, but later. Um, and uh, so I sort of bided my time in in this um, treatment center and I got out and relapsed immediately with somebody else, which is always like sort of double trouble. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like if you're ever trying to test this theory of addiction, uh, this was one way to do it. Um, we say in our um, sort of language, that it's uh, jails, institutions, or death, that it's progressive and it's fatal, and that it always is going to get worse um, a lot faster. And uh, so I went out, and I think it was about seven or eight weeks um, to get me to a point where I had, you know, was institutionalized um, in a detox center um, a couple times, um, hospitalized. Uh, I was really sick. Um, I was suicidal. And uh, I just didn't see a way out. Um, and then something happened that kind of was what I would call my first spiritual awakening. Um, and it occurred, uh, at about 10 o'clock in the morning in a neighborhood called Oak Bay, which was sort of a childhood na- neighborhood of mine. Um, and I crashed my vehicle. Um, it was a Sunday. Uh, so there's people out and about and, uh, I had all sorts of booze bottles in my car. And I was handcuffed, lying down on the ground. I had an officer's knee in my back. And I just remember thinking, what the fuck? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like, I grew up in a really good family. Like, my parents afforded us every material good that you could hope for. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, so for some reason, it was that sort of, that dichotomy of being in this childhood neighborhood on a Sunday morning with respectable people being held down by an officer loaded out of my mind with a total car. There was just something about that scene that I remember so clearly, like you can fucking like smell the cement, like under my nose. Like I, it was very visceral. It was the only moment of clarity I had that day or for the days to follow. Um, and it was the first time in my life that the idea of getting clean was less terrifying than going out again 
And I think for some people, they would be like, well, of course it was, Jill. Like, what the fuck? But like, I think people have to understand that like my natural state is to be high out of my fucking mind. Yeah. My natural state is to be using. This is like, this is what addiction is, right? This Mm -hmm. is just, this is who I am. This is what I do. So when an addict all of a sudden has that shift where, and it wasn't that much, it was just this like little bit of um, this sort of glimmer of like, fuck, maybe getting clean is the answer. Mm-hmm. Because the the scene that I was in at that period of time was so against my worldview of who I thought I was. And now it was proven to me, like even like going in and out of detoxes and like, fucking just being an absolute asshole and like just having no job prospects at the age of 30 and like oh I was just such a mess like none of that mattered but it was something about that scene on that Sunday morning that made me go like this has gone too far and I actually used that night I got bailed out of course um and I used I you know used that night and I think it took me about three days before I begged to go back to treatment and I went back to treatment and like so I was like you know I'd walk in there like yeah I got this it's gonna be great and like they knew me they knew my fucking game already they knew that I was not gonna stay clean when I left the first time and um and they took me into this room and they were like okay so here's the thing like you can stay um but you're gonna go into a government-funded recovery house and I was like fuck you guys I'm out of here. Like I'm Jill. I'm 30. Like I'm not going to be in like some government funded recovery house. Like, of course not. That's not what I do. Mm. And uh, like somehow I was better than that. Um, and uh, so I remember I left through this like tantrum and like left the room and I was like, fuck those guys. They're like, you can pack your bags now. Like yeah. you have, you have one choice. So I was like, fine, I'll fucking pack my bags. I'm out of here. And then I don't know, something stopped me. And I was like, if you, go out you are gonna die like you'll die and so again for the second time the idea of getting clean was a better option than continuing to use so again like that was like to me I still look back on it and just like I've never felt that in my life like I never felt that feeling of the option of getting clean was even a possibility Um, but the idea of using was actually scarier now. And, um, so that's where I started and it was not like, it wasn't like a bolt of lightning and it wasn't like, I didn't think like that every day. There were days where I was like, I am better than this. Like the day I moved into the recovery house, I was just like, these are not my people. And like, of course they're my people. (laughs) Of course they're my people. Like, (laughs) fuck. Um, and then. I remember I went into like spite mode where I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do everything this program requires of me because I went into a 12 step program. As many of us do, not all of us, but many of us do. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to go to meetings every fucking day. I'm going to do these steps. I'm going to get a sponsor and like, I'm going to be of service and welcome people at the door. And in three months when I'm done with this recovery house, I'm gone, I'm out of here, and I can show everybody it doesn't work because I did all of the things and it still didn't work. And the joke's on me because it fucking worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked um, in a way that I did not expect. And it was just kind of like this edging into like, hey, being clean, maybe it is better than using. 
like weird. Like I can function for days at a time without the use of drugs. Like I'm finding some happiness in my life without the use of drugs. I'm finding purpose and meaning in my life without the use of drugs. And, um, you know, I just, I sort of built on that and, Mm -hmm. um, that's where I started to rebuild my life. So that's the, that's the story of how I got clean. Um, but you know, I, I also, things didn't just keep going up from there. I think people sort of look at my life on, on paper and go like, oh, she did it. Yeah. And then it's, because I I guess it's kind of like another journey after that. Um, yeah. Cause I, I know when you're like, uh, especially if you're like kind of intoxicated all the time and then you come out of that, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like, uh, like you were saying, now you're even more existential because now you're trying to yeah. find meaning in the life. You are always trying yeah. to numb that feeling of searching with mm-hmm. uh, like intoxicants before, right? Yeah, yeah. Like spirituality, like I was introduced to spirituality through a 12-step program. And like, you know, I, I've i never been able to grasp the concept of a higher power. For me, it's been very, like we're, we're told like you have to have one. Mm-hmm. I've never had this, like, this feeling of, like, a deep connection to a higher power. I've had fleeting moments of it, for sure, when I was, like, deep in the steps, like, doing the 12 steps and, like, doing, like, you know, uh, meditation and that type of stuff. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's tenuous, for sure. But I just, I prefer, it's my preference to leave the door open for something. That's about as far as I can go. Cause I just find that like, you know, I, I, I have no fucking idea what's out yeah, there, yeah, but yeah. like, I think I'll just err on the side of caution and just like leave that door to the spiritual open mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, if there is like a power greater than myself, like awesome. Great. Uh, but you know, I, I also have a lot of difficulty um, grasping that, that whole concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I got clean. And I, uh, yeah, I didn't really know what to do. I spent the first couple of years just in the program, just being in a 12-step program. Um, I met my now husband is the, the word that I was looking for, not current husband. <laughs> um, I, let, I met my now husband um, and we did a lot of recovery together. And like, I got extremely embedded in, um, in a 12-step program and, um, you know, had a lot of success with that. And then I started to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, there's these, this is sort of what leads me to my next sort of crisis of uh, self um, and the next sort of question about like, what the fuck are we supposed to be doing with our lives here? Um, I didn't have a lot to go on um, with my careers that I had done as an active addict. I had had some some work um in like communications and then like some advocacy and nonprofit lobbying and that type of stuff um so i wasn't totally without a resume but it wasn't great there was huge gaps in it obviously mm. um and uh when i was in my undergrad i had always wanted to go work internationally i did my um my uh my undergrad degree in poli sci and i specialized in genocide studies and i worked with the um, a professor that was running the Montreal Institute of Genocide Studies. And I just obviously never pursued that afterwards because I took a break from school and then never went back. Um, 
And so I thought, okay, great. I'm going to go out and do a master's degree because nobody's going to hire me with an undergrad degree because that's what they tell you, right? They were like, they're like, okay, first you have to get that undergrad degree mm-hmm. and then you'll get the job. By the time you complete that, they're like, wait, 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 but you also need a master's now. Yeah. Um, and it, that was like what they were telling me to do. So I was like, fucking cool. I'll go do this master's degree. So I applied um, and got into a program um, called uh, Human Security and Peace Building. And, and this was, uh, this was, was, this was after uh, like your recovery? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah, this, yeah, this was after, after? I okay. got into recovery. And this is where I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what we're supposed to do. You know, I can't get a job without a master's degree, it seems like. Um, I sort of ignored the fact that I had a really fucking messy resume. <laughs> but uh, so I went out to pursue this master's degree and uh, I did really well. Like I did everything I needed to do that I should have done in my undergrad. Um, I graduated top of my class and uh, I spent uh, six months in Northern Uganda um, doing my research. Um, I was researching the nexus of um, like a a growing oil industry with a post-conflict society. And um, I went and lived out there did this research, got published. I got to work with the London School of Economics, like won this chancellor's award that was like, you're gonna graduate top of your class. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, but it was also, it was also, um, frustrating because I had started to apply for jobs after I got this master's degree and was coming up empty handed wherever I turned. And it wasn't even with like this, like Uganda thing under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, I came back to, um, to Canada and, um, I just like, I don't know, like, I just like, I wanted a job where I was working with people where I was helping in some way where I was moving policy forward or something to that effect. And, you know, the international sphere is um, highly competitive. Uh, It pays almost nothing, you can get volunteer jobs, that's about it that you can get without without a ton of experience. Um, I was very resentful towards the, my program because as I found out, I get all these job applications. It's always like, um, like 10 years of experience plus a master's degree, right? To get any type of job that's going to pay you any type of money to do this work. I, we just, I didn't know that, right? I thought mm. master's degree, I'll be good. And um, so I spent, I just, I just remember feeling like my full-time job was job hunting, like day in, day out. And then I would start to like move that benchmark down. Okay. It's like, okay, you're not going to get this job at the UN. And like, I can't like uproot right now. And cause you were going to try and start a family and um, okay. So I'm going to work for the Canadian government. And then like, I would like bump that bar down and be like, okay, I'll work for the provincial government. And like, could not went to interview after interview would get shortlisted. Like I started to have these like, crazy experiences where I would like apply for a job and then I get a letter in the mail and be like, we've decided that this position no longer exists. And it was just like, I was like, I don't know what to do here. Like I am now 35 and I've done what you guys fucking told me to do, which is like, go get a master's degree, work really hard, pull up your fucking bootstraps. Like, oh, like it just became this, like I was applying for like these low level positions the assistant to an assistant, a temporary position within the government. And I was just coming up empty handed and I was working for free, just trying to get some experience. And this is like 
the point of time where I had this like this other existential crisis, which is like I'm clean now, like I'm clean, and I've done everything that I'm supposed to do by like the society standards. Um, I I'm an upstanding citizen. What the fuck else do you want? And it felt so frustrating because a master's degree doesn't guarantee you a job anymore. An undergrad degree certainly doesn't. Experience, but even then you need so much in a very specialized field. You can't be this sort of scattershot type of experience. And I just didn't have any of that. And I just saw no way forward. And I remember thinking like, at least when I was in addiction, I knew what was causing the problem. Oh yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. And now I was like, I had all this, these accolades and all this experience. And, you know, I just thought, what the fuck am I going to do? And it drove me to this really dark place. And it was the first time clean where I wasn't suicidal, but I also was like not having a good time living. Mm -hmm. And unemployment is a very specific type of um, mental illness. Uh, It can drive you to these places, like I would call it situational depression, um, which is what I experienced for about a year and a half. Um, And it's really tough. And in many ways, it's very isolating um, because your family wants to support you because you have done so well. But after a while, when you don't have a job, they're kind of like, well, what the fuck is wrong with her? And I don't know if that's what they were thinking, but I know that it probably wore a little thin and, you know, always being like, Oh yeah, I've got this lead and, you know, I hope it's going to work out. And like, I've done so much work on this. And, you know, after a while you just lose faith and you lose hope and you start to think that you're definitely not good enough and you're a burden to your family. You're now again, somehow a burden to society. And, you know, after it's okay to be unemployed for a while, but not that long. And I just retreated into this place of really deep depression and um, just questioning everything because not only had I pulled myself out of like addiction and, you know, this like awful, you know, 15 years, but I had gotten clean and gotten happy, got my life back, got my family back, and then started to rebuild it in the way that I was told I had to rebuild it. And that proved to do nothing for me, mm. nothing for me. And I would consider it, I was like, okay, I'll just go do a PhD. But I had met so many people, like you, like you think fucking unemployed master's students are bad. Where do you meet a fucking unemployed PhD student? It's like, I had so many friends that I met when I was in Uganda that were doing their PhDs and they were absolute basket cases. I mean, just in this exact same position that I was in, right? But they're looking for postdocs and they've invested another half a decade in education. And they're just like, they're fighting for these like meager postdoc positions. And I just thought, I can't go there. I can't be 40 and then be right back where I am right now because that is a very real possibility. Yeah. So, um, 
But there was something interesting that sort of happened in that space, which was I was just crazy enough to entertain pretty much fucking anything. <laughs> I didn't care what it was. <laughs> I just needed to be useful. Um, and uh, I ended up taking a job. Um, this is a guy at my gym who owned a health food restaurant. He wanted to franchise it. And I was like, I am the woman for that job. And I, I was not the woman for that job. Um, but you were just like, let's do it. <laughs> you were ready. <laughs> I mean, I had worked a lot in the food and beverage industry, but he was not great at business. And uh, it was just a really tough, every, like I was sort of roadblocked everywhere I went with it, but it was paying the bills and I was kind of happy. And I was like, all right, I'll just do this until I can figure out what my next move is. And uh, we were selling this peanut butter in this health food restaurant called Fatso. And uh, the two owners of it, you know, they'd drop off a case here and there and then we'd never hear from them. But it was a fantastic concept. The name was awesome. And I was like, why are these guys like not doing more with this business? Like we can never get them to fill POs. Uh, I knew that they were selling in a few other places around town. And uh, so um, I went to the retailers and said, like, can you guys get like stock from these guys on a regular basis? Because I can never get a hold of them. They're like, no, and they're super difficult to deal with. And um, so I, uh, you know, just sort of thought, okay, well, you know, it's too bad because it's a fantastic product. And one day it occurred to me that I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll ask them if I can help out a bit here because their social media was abysmal and they didn't have very good retail relationships. And I knew a bunch of the retailers around town. And so I, you know, said, hey, listen, like maybe you guys let me buy in. I can do some marketing for you and, you know, help you get this, this brand off the ground. And they were like, nope, don't want it. So I was like, all right, that sucks because this business is amazing. So um, one day I got a call from one of the retailers actually, because they knew I'd been interested in the brand for some time. I said, you might be in luck because um, Fatso's inventory, the Vancouver Island health authorities came in and seized their inventory because they were operating without a license. Uh, like a, like a, like a, like a health authority license. Like you can't just make jars of peanut butter and then put them on shelves in stores. Like you actually have to have like health and safety regulations. Yeah, of course. They were not doing this. Um, and somehow they got found out and, um, so they said, this might be a good time for you to approach them. So I, I did. Some homegrown peanut butter, I guess. Eh? <laughs> hey, I'm not against it. Because to be honest, when I was in recovery, like my first, like, I think year and a half in recovery, I actually ran an underground bakery where I was doing pretty much that. I was selling like these like protein balls and these like little cakes, like through a gym. Like it was totally like not, ha, I'm all for that. Ha, ha, ha. Like, hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But yeah, so their inventory got seized. And uh, so I went to them and I said, listen, I'm going to make you a good offer here. I want you guys to give up the name. And um, I want you to give me the recipe and all the rights to it. And uh, like, I'll, I'll take it from there. You guys obviously, they, they had nowhere to go. Like, yeah, like really, they're kind of done. Yeah, they were done. Um, so I bought it for about a price of a used car. And uh, started, yeah, started making it out of the back of um, this health food restaurant. I had two stand mixers. Um, so it was just really a process of mixing these plant-based fats. Oh, if people don't know what fatso is, it's an all-natural nut butter enriched with plant-based fats. So we have like 
um, organic coconut oil, MCT oil, chia, and flax in it. Nice. Um, and it's delicious. We have three flavors in two varieties, peanut and almond and seed. Check it out, eFacet.com. There's some plugs. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I was like making it. And what I didn't know was that um, like making peanut butter is really fucking messy. Like it's messy and it's cumbersome. It's super hard to clean up. And uh, so I was like, this is not going to work. Um, I need to find somebody to pack this for me. So I did that. And I'm lucky, as I said before, I come from a family of means. So I was able to get a loan from my dad to help start the business. Um, and so I took out this loan and went and found a co-packer and, uh, you know, launched the product through that co-packer. And um, it was the first, the first, I think it was like 8,000 pounds of inventory. It was like three pallets landed in my driveway. Nice. I had pre-orders all over the city because I had gone and spent three months, like just repairing all these retail relationships, being like, there's new ownership, like we're going to take this to the next level. And I had a bunch of retailers that were interested and this product line in my driveway, I packed up my car. I was so excited. I think I had like $2,000 in orders and I was like, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was like, Oh shit, I guess I should taste it. So I took a jar inside and I'll never forget it. I like my knees gave out because the recipe, it tasted like shit. Tasted oh like no. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, of course, like this is going to be the time that Jill started a peanut butter company. And, you know, it's going to be this sad attempt at like trying to get my life together. And I think I like kind of crawled under the covers for three days at that point. And it was like this sort of like, this cave that I had entered for the past year and a half that I had left when I had started to emerge, I kind of went back into it for about three days. And then I was like, okay, you have two choices here. You can succumb to this and throw in the towel, or you can figure out a way out of this. And I did, I managed to get it sent back and got it remade after a lot of conflict with the Packers. And um, what happened, you know? They just put a wrong ingredient. They there was a lot that went wrong there, and this is a little bit inside baseball. But like, always get a contract with your co-packer. Make sure that they'll let you be on the floor when they make your product. Always interrogate their ingredients. This is stuff I did not know, um, and this is stuff that they sort of said. They patted me on my head and were like, "Don't worry, little girl. We'll take this product from yeah, here." Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was fucked and bad, and it was a really bad co-packing relationship. But it, we managed to launch the product with them. Um, and then um, two years later, I moved to a really large facility. Um, it's one of the biggest nut butter facilities in North America. We're working with we work with them to this day. They're fantastic. So, so that is sort of how I found Faso. Um, but um, I think the point with all of it was. Uh, that I was just in this like really, like it's a weird space. Like if I had gotten like even like a temporary position in the government, part-time, $16 an hour, no promise of any other job coming down my, the pipe, I would have been like, I did it. I fucking made it. And the idea of buying a peanut butter company at that point would have been ridiculous because I would be on my way to working my way up through the government then. And I just look back on that time. It was so critical and there were so many moving parts that had to come into place. Like I had to experience this like 
intense depression. I had to be open to possibility. I had to be able to be introspective and think about like, how am I going to get myself out of this without relapsing for fuck's sake? Mm. Um, and, you know, I just had these, these moments of clarity along the way that helped me get through. And it was not dissimilar to that time where I realized that, you know, getting clean might be better than, than using. Um, and I, you know, don't know what it was. Perhaps it was just being open to new opportunity or it was just a form of absolute insanity. And because that's what it felt like. It felt like insanity at that point to start a peanut butter company. And I, I haven't shaken the idea that I, I have no business doing this. Um, I like recently got a cover of a, the BC Business Magazine. And it was the women of the year, big cover. And nice. for some reason, I just haven't been able to enjoy it because I'm like, yeah, but look at all the other women that deserve to be on that. Like, why, why would I be on that? <laughs> it's silly. Um, and I, I've struggled and it's, it is just sort of the nature of who I am. And this sort of hangover from being an addict for so long and feeling so worthless. And then also getting clean and doing all this work and then still feeling like a pile of shit. Um, I've really struggled with the idea of fairness and deserve that, that word, like who deserves what, um, why do people deserve things? Why do I have a wonderful family and a beautiful home and a successful business when there are women or other people who just have had less opportunity who are much more brilliant than I am and much more creative and like, why don't they have that? Like I, I, I wrestle with that every day. Um, but being an entrepreneur, I think is part of that. It's a, it's a total mental game. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that, I mean, it's definitely my, my, my battle to fight. Um, but I've never felt comfortable with the success that I've had. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's the, it did never feel like it was supposed to be what I was supposed to have. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh that's like a, that's an incredible story. Um, yeah. Honestly, like even coming, like I was thinking when you were talking about like getting into your masters and like uh, just kind of like how it, like it's told to you, right? Like this is mm-hmm. like what you're supposed to do. And this is like, I, I feel so bad for like students these days because it's, it's not like how yeah. it was like 30 years ago, 30 years ago, you get your master's, at least, you know, like you're getting some yeah. sort of security out of it. Yeah. But yeah. Like we it's, keep telling people that now, right? It's fucked, man. Like I honestly, like, I think, I think the, the cover is being pulled back somewhat uh, these days. I just would be, I mean, student debt is definitely more of an issue in the United States, but um, it's a, it's a goddamn free for all. And I, I have never, like here's the thing it's like my position in society like my parents are well connected for all intents and purposes I should have had like things laid out for me no problem even at 35 with a master's degree like I don't know if it was just my bad luck or what it was just the timing maybe if I had held out for another month I would have got the, my dream job I don't know um but it just isn't the case anymore people are not entering careers um and you know having one career in their lifetime um many people are working multiple jobs uh that promise of advanced education is a total fucking farce 
I mean, it is a farce. And I, I don't mean to denigrate anybody that has done that and is doing well in their careers or anybody who is pursuing academia. But I do know a lot of people in academia who um, would agree that it is a it is a very um, it's a very difficult uh, institution, any academic institution. It is wrought with um, lots of unfairness, um, and uh, there is no promise at the end of a master's degree. You know, I I think one of my biggest regrets truly was. Um, you know, I, especially when I was in this space after I'd finished my master's degree, it was like, why the fuck didn't I do something practical? Like, why didn't I go into like, I don't know, electrical engineering, ha, ha, like a skilled yeah. labor trade? That is a guarantee, right? So, you know, I, I do, I, you know, I think a lot about, it's been something recently too, like I've had some recent experiences when I think about um, unfairness. Um, and it's a bit of a touchy subject, but um, cause I'm sort of in it right now, but we've had, um, a lot of difficulty, um, having kids. Uh, we've been in the process for five years now for four years. Um, I'm currently headed into, I think our eighth round of IVF. Uh, so lots of miscarriages and, um, uh, and we have, we have a son, thank God, like, <laughs> I feel like, feel very lucky for that but mm -hmm. you know we've been through the ringer on that type of stuff and um we recently had a really late miscarriage um after thinking we were out of the woods and that put me right back into this like and this is where like these these i've had these periods in my life starting in 2010 all the way up to now um with like, getting clean and then this like whole career situation and thought so and then now with this IVF is like, what the fuck is God? And I, I will tell you, like, I have a fantastic therapist and I get very like existential on these things because like the pain and uh, loss that we went through trying to conceive our son. And like, it's, it is a deeply uh, difficult um thing infertility for 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 anybody mm -hmm. um but uh you know we we really we've been through pretty much all, all of it um we ended up having to use an egg donor and we got pregnant on our first try after four attempts four or five attempts five five now and uh you know just tons of loss there and um people being like well have you considered adoption Mm -hmm. And like, there's so many kids in this world that are like out there that need to be adopted. And what people don't know is that um, it, that isn't what it's about. Of course, we consider adoption. We had our application all ready to go. Um, adoption starts at $30,000 here in Canada domestically. Uh, if you want an infant, um, then uh, you'll wait an extremely long time or you have to adopt from um, the United States or Japan, which runs sixty dollars to $90,000 US. Uh, so with IVF, where it's like seven to $8,000 a pop, it's a numbers game, right? You're, you're, you're four into it and you're like, you have to be, and also adoption agencies won't consider you if you're not done with IVF. You can't have both. You can't Jesus. adopt and pursue. So people don't know a lot about that. So they judge, like, why would you spend so much money just to have a biological, biological child? And I have to be like, Hey, listen, I'm not having a biological child. So you can just leave that alone. Um, uh, and he, he is my, my, 
my my husband's biological son, but mm. um, not mine. Um, so, um, you know, I've had to grapple with, and this was all happening right when I was starting fat. So we started all of this. So <laughs> it was a real like. Yeah, heavy. Like interesting, yeah, trajectory for us, and um, and then recently, you know, after you know we had Remy, and um, we started, we thought, okay, we're gonna try another one, um, and we just felt like we deserve this. We deserve to have like a completely normal pregnancy. We deserve to have like none of the worry that we had before, and uh, yeah, we just found out the baby didn't survive um at the 12 week we, it was 13 weeks when we found out I'm and sorry um about that. yeah it's uh it's still a little fresh but but yeah it really like when, if we're talking about like how to make sense of the world because that's all we're ever trying to do really mm-hmm. and Sorry, I'm on a lot of hormones too. Right that, yeah, it does no worries, no worries. We are going into IVF right now, so I'm like super hormonal. But um, yeah, it's you start to question like, what do you have to do in life to create a good outcome? And the answer I've come on is there is nothing you can do. And then that leads me to the question: Well, like, so what's with so what's with God? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Because the thing is, is that like, I kind of need God right now. Like I kind of need, like I need, I need an explanation. Hmm. That's all right. You want, yeah, you want an answer. You want some meaning or something, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like I deserve answers. <laughs> But then I think about like all these, like if you just look at like who gets what and what people do, prayer, worship, good deeds. And I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that is what gets you anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say like, maybe, (laughs) like, I don't know. Am I supposed to be learning something from this as is like, are these experiences that I'm having supposed to make me into a a person that is going to have an impact in some way? Like, is it turning me into this sort of, this person that like, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, when you were talking about coming out of recovery, it was, it, it did seem like you, the way you were describing it, uh, the 12 step program kind of made you more into service and stuff like that. And then totally. coming in, coming into this business, it seems like, and from hearing uh, like you uh, speak in other places too, it seems like yeah. you've been coming, you've coming into more of like a giving person, like even socially and charity wise, oh, totally. like, yeah. and uh, yeah, like, I don't know, like it, uh, maybe like, yeah, like I said, like, I have no idea, but I, I do think mm-hmm. it, these experiences have changed you. And um, from my impression, it, it, it changed you <laughs> into more of a giving person, which this world can definitely use a lot more yeah. of, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been really fortunate. Like when I started the company, I was like, okay, the first thing I'm gonna do if we're ever successful is give back. And we've done 
like a ton of philanthropic work, uh, lots of charity work, lots of activism, um, just through our platform and through like donations. And we just actually were about to launch by the time this podcast airs, we'll have just launched our micro grant program for sex workers here in Victoria. Um, so I've been, it's kind of cool because all the stuff that I actually wanted to do with my degree, I've done had a way bigger impact than I would yeah, have exactly. done working in policy in the UN or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it, it has changed me into a person in it, like that I do want to give back. Um, I also think that I'm so terrified of being bad. Like, and this is, I mean, this is the whole driver for religion, right? We're so scared of being bad because we don't want to incur God's wrath. And then, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. and then they, and then they go, okay, well, these bad things happen to you because God's trying to teach you a lesson. And you're like, oh, okay. So I guess like, I just have to keep doing the good stuff. Then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like take your like pain and like turn it into good. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Sweet. Okay. And then uh-huh. something bad happens again. And you're like, okay, so this is like another fucking lesson, right? Like I'm supposed to like learn something from this. Or like, I don't know, maybe. And at, there's just a point where you're like, okay, what the fuck? Like, I just need, like, I, you know, recovery, you know, depression and uh, and infertility and miscarriage and all that bullshit. Like, it has just made me really step back. And now more than ever, like today with where I'm at um, and with like the grief and loss that we've had to carry over this past few months, like, it has just made me start to think about nobody. Like the only thing that I can come up with is the world is unfair. And the more you try and make sense of it, the more you're going to hurt yourself. And that's just, that's just where I'm at right now, because I feel like the more I try and make sense of it and the more I try and mold myself into something that um, I think I should be doing, um, the more it hurts. Hmm. because you're like why like have you ever uh listened to any of alan watts Mm-mm, no okay like i think you might like his philosophy a little bit it's a very like mm. zen uh taoist kind of philosophy and it's right. uh when you're talking about good and bad like his like the philosophy around that is like like good and bad doesn't really exist like that's just a human no. conceptualization of it right totally and um yeah like if you're and like the way you're talking about like constantly going after constantly chasing like what's fair yeah. constantly you like it, it, it's kind of like showing like that's kind of like your mind grasping at answers like trying to find something to make sense of it all and like yeah like when you do that like you kind of stay into the cycles of suffering a lot, uh, a lot more. And that's kind of like, totally. whereas, yeah. Whereas like philosophy, like oh, I would re- recommend checking him out. Uh, I yeah. honestly, I listen to him on YouTube all the time. Just he, he's like, he's a dead philosopher now, but like, he's like one of my yeah, favorites. Cool. And uh, Alan Watts. Yeah. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. Cause I, I think, uh, I think uh, you would, uh, I think you would get a lot from him. Yeah. It's strange. Like being at this point in my life and being like, because like the poli sci background, of course, we had to fucking all the philosophers, we had to learn all of that stuff. And I didn't give a shit about it. But now I'm just like, what is the nature of good and bad? What is this word that we think about of deserve or karma or anything like that? And I, 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 I almost need, I almost need there to be a God because I need there to be an explanation. And then I'm like struck with the fact that like, you're like, oh yeah, that's why religion was created. What the fuck? Like, Cause it's just like, 
like that's what I mean to me that's why religion was created is people just live in fear and they need an explanation for something right and it's mm-hmm. easier to create like it's easier to create this like idea of like how the world works based in the spiritual realm that nobody can actually see or actually experience and there's no way to prove it but you just have to have blind faith and that's like that's easy like I could say like you know if I was a religious person and in, in the sort of like the Christian faith like I could say, you know, you know, God's just preparing me for, for what's coming down the road. And the one that I fucking hate the most is like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's like, really? Cause I kind of feel like I can't handle anymore right now. Like I kind of feel like I'm like, like I, I need to call it a day with this shit. Like, and so, and that's like, it's a scary thing because we are going to try to have another baby again. And like, I just live in constant fear because it's like, well, how do I deserve? I Now I deserve to have a regular pregnancy. Like now I deserve it. Right. Cause like I've been through enough of it now, mm. but the reality is, is that that may not happen. And uh, so, yeah, so those are that, that would be the, this is this is my current spiritual state. Now that I've laid <laughs> everything out <laughs> to the public. <laughs> and uh so, yeah and, like it's okay. interesting like how you were talking about like postdoc people that you used to work with and like I, I bet you like especially people going into poli sci and all of those kind of like um places like they're all looking to kind of address that issue of fairness they want more yeah. fairness in the world they yeah. want to help like it's people with this kind of mindset and then they end up yeah. in a system that freaking is unfair they end up in a yeah. system that freaking kind of ends up destroying them themselves like are destroying yeah. their like worldview because like you don't want to be in the office doing papers when like that's no. kind of your uh your yeah. passion right yeah yeah no i really like i think that it, it is like this concept of fairness that has driven me a lot and like i don't understand like i spent so much of my life just being a fucking jack off like jesus christ like i don't deserve shit and I've been given every opportunity um, through my parents, you know, um, wealth and connections. And uh, like, I certainly am not a self-made business person. I've had like tons of help with that. And so I'm operating from this like extreme place of privilege when I'm like, what is fair? Well, I like, you know, drink fucking canned sparkling water and like have nice <laughs> sheets and shit. Like, so like, I'm I'm super aware of that. But, you know, I think, it is that day in day out questioning of how how to move on i mean this more recent loss that we've had has really put into stark relief like hey suffering is suffering (laughs) (laughs) whether your sheets feel good or not but um it has driven me a lot and it's one of the reasons why i continue to give away (laughs) company money um and like a lot of peanut butter and um because i really want to be I want I want to level the playing field. Like I want to share the success that I've had with other people. I want to figure out ways that I can lift people up. And um, you know, honestly, though, like that going. that kind of work is what we need right now, and that we need it from every angle. So like mm-hmm. you coming at it from your like angle is just like something that like we need to like we need to like promote that and like actually show how good that of work that is. So like I wouldn't, yeah, yeah like. I would try to find meaning in that a little bit because like uh, it is um, it is honestly like great yeah. work and it's something that's we need. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. We were talking beforehand and you were <laughs> mentioning atheism. Why yeah. did, uh, why is that never, have you never jumped into that, uh, into that no. pool or whatever that is? <laughs> no, it's so funny. I remember I was listening to this podcast actually. It's like, I was, it was when like podcasts first started ha- happening and comedians actually started getting podcasts. It was, I think it was Ari Shafir, who's an absolute fucking idiot. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, anyways, I was listening to one of his podcasts and it was on atheism. And he had this like, this woman on, uh, she's younger. She was like this youth leader who was an atheist and was like leading this atheism movement. And it was good. They had this like really engaging conversation. And like, I was like, yeah, like there's, they're making a lot of good points here. And they were talking all about like, you know, the intensity of religion and like why religion is bad and, you know, why it doesn't exist and all this sort of stuff. And, and then at the end, uh, I think they brought up, you know, agnostics, like people that, you know, kind of leave the door open like myself. And they were like, yeah, those agnostics can get fucked. They're insane too. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second here. Like, and they were going on and on about how atheism, like there can't possibly be anything. You're an idiot if you believe anything else. And I was like, this is beginning to sound religious. Yeah. Like that fervent, unshakable belief in something calling everybody else idiots for not believing the same thing that you do that sounds really familiar to me and that was the first time I was like yeah fuck atheism like fuck you guys um and like I've had there was this other thing that I um because I get worried like there's always these these little articles that I get like notifications for like scientific America or whatever and I remember this one that came up and it was this scientist that said we proved there's no god if um if like we know we know all the rules on physics and if there was a god particle we would have found it by now so you're wrong and i i remember feeling this deep disappointment and fear of that i was like no 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 no, don't fear of somebody proving that there is no god okay but that's really scary to me Mm. Um, i think it's scary to a lot of people for different reasons but Mm -hmm. i as i said i like that door open it gives me a sense of comfort Right. I mean, there may not be anything, but maybe there is something, maybe something beyond our, our, what we're able to conceptualize. And uh, I just find that atheism just borders on. No, it doesn't border on. It dips right into religion. Right. They have these hard and fast principles, intensely scientific. There's no room for movement. Fuck the agnostics. Fuck anybody who's keeping the door open. You're all idiots. Can't you see the truth? And that's like really to me, is just the epitome of arrogance. It is just the fucking epitome of arrogance. Just like when you have people knocking on your door and be like, have you heard the good word? Like, (laughs) yes, we've all heard the word. We all know by now. I don't want what you're selling. Like, just let me, like, exist in this middle land, please. And so atheists, you can get fucked. Um, But I mean, whatever. Believe whatever you want. I don't fucking care. Do whatever you want, guys. Just don't hurt anybody else while you're doing it. That's really my only, like, rule for any type of belief or religion my own personal worldview is believe what you want don't hurt people in the process that's oh, all yeah. you have to do yeah yeah and i i think most like sane people have that kind of view but yeah and i have i've always like i have a comedy bit on uh 
being an agnostic as well i am agnostic right. and like yeah. the, in the bit it's like the people who give me the most shit aren't like the religious people it's the atheists uh, yeah yeah i'll I have know. to send you that bit so you'll uh because i please think i would love to see that, that. yeah because they're fucked but yeah i really i don't know this this is even the past like the pandemic and all this q on stuff like to me reads religion all over it like all the conspiracy theories all the QAnon stuff all the stuff even like the anti-vax stuff like um just the conspiracy theories about the coronavirus itself it screams like this is how religion was created it's a way to explain things that are super scary in a way that fits your worldview um the stuff that happened with QAnon, same thing. It's just people need an explanation. The world is incredibly fucked up. And it's much easier to believe in reptile people that eat babies or that this is a biological warfare weapon than it is like we're just so incompetent that we can't run countries or our own public health. Mm-hmm. Like that's all it is. Like I just I don't I don't believe like in the like well of course I don't believe in these conspiracies, but what I've come to believe about the world is that we aren't that smart and we're definitely not that organized. We don't keep secrets well. So I can't imagine a, you know, centuries old cabal hiding alien life forms and <laughs> like <laughs> sucking the lifeblood from like the youth of the nation. <laughs> I, you can't keep that type of secret. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm just like, I know, I know we have to wrap this up, but um, yeah, I just really think a lot about, you know, when all these conspiracy, I feel sorry for people because it is scary and it is much easier to believe that like China released a virus on us. And it's like, no, I think there might've just been some incompetence and like some mistakes that were made. And, you know, this thing spread like wildfire and people didn't want to believe that we were entering into a potentially like deadly worldwide situation. It's really hard for people to take that in. and. They need explanations and they need explanations right now. They also need explanations that aren't going to interfere on what makes them comfortable day to day. Yeah. Like walking free without a mask or like having to like not take a vaccine. People don't like to have be told what to do. And so that, that was my thought on. Yeah. It's, it's actually kind of weird when you were talking about QAnon too, because like, I come from a, like now like that I do consider myself agnostic. I'm also very mm-hmm. like spiritual as well. And like mm-hmm. uh, my spirituality comes more in like a meditation, more in like sure. a consciousness, yeah. more in like uh, that kind of self-development kind of way. And mm-hmm. it's funny to see like a lot of people who I admire in like that kind of world they're about half of them kind of went over to this kind of QAnon slash like that kind of stuff where I was just yeah. like, no way. Like how the fuck did you guys go into this uh, yeah. like a uh, world? Because that is just, it is kind of true. Like when you're, t- when you're talking about spirituality, when you're talking about consciousness, when you're talking about yeah. this, the people that are open to it are open to those kind of ideas. They're open to yeah. ideas that are out there. And then yeah. when QAnon came along, like, it like sucked a lot of those people in and it's crazy seeing like people in the consciousness movement yeah. go like, Oh, look at Donald Trump as like, uh, he's a yeah. secret pedophile hunter or whatever the hell QAnon even believes in. But it was just like, it was mind blowing to see these two worlds uh, meet. Yeah. I, 
you know, I honestly feel like this, there was a deep sense of instability during that period of time and that there was a deep need for explanation. And I think people often look, I mean, even if you're in the consciousness community, people often look outside of themselves rather than being introspective and, you know, interrogating the rational. Um, and it is very easy. I mean, I really, I deeply believe, and this is only my belief, that religion was founded because it was an easy way to A, control people, and B, explain a very, very scary world around us. Like, it mm -hmm. just provides the structure for a society based on these very elementary concepts, good, bad, um, like evil and godlike, and, you know, things go bad, you did bad, things go good, you did good. Like, it's, very but it's easy right and it's nice to have this narrative going forward where we absolve ourselves essentially of anything because we can always fall back on like well you know this is just god teaching me a fucking lesson or like you know oh i i you know i'll repent for my sins and i will be forgiven um and it absolves us of actually looking inside ourselves and going like hey i'm a really like anxious ape like how do i fix myself and do better in this world and do the work myself. Because religion does the fucking work for you, as do conspiracy theories, do the work for you. People monetize it and they take it to the nth degree and you can go along with them, but you're never looking inside, right? Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to be like, ah, this crazy explanation, rather than to be like, hey, maybe I'm part of the problem or how can I be a better person around, um, a better person, how, how can I, um, you know, um, grow spiritually. How do I make sense of the world through what I've learned? I I just you see it everywhere. It pops up everywhere. And uh, yeah, I I'm not good at meditating. I I do it. This is actually the meditation room that we have at my co-working space, oh, um, nice. which I'm not using to meditate right now. But <laughs> um, but yeah. So you know, I just uh, yeah, I'm definitely in this place of like trying to explain the world to myself and hopefully yeah. not to men too many other people except for your entire audience <laughs> ha, 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 ha. hey honestly though like uh you said it perfectly there it's like um this world gets confusing and it feels like now with social media and like this chaos and then the pandemic um it mm. feels more confusing but like it's true it's like you have to go inside um you have to kind of find your own answers and it comes from yeah. going inside then rather than going outside and like getting those like uh, answers yeah. from somebody else who might be trying to but take advantage of you <laughs> th that and that's the kicker it might be trying to take advantage of you please listen to your healthcare professionals and your local scientist oh yeah i will say that <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all right jill this was amazing um and like yeah like I, you said like I, I love your uh your peanut butter i love how it's uh like i love what you're doing with your business you're giving back you're helping people as well with it and it's a very socially conscious like kind of business model. And this is mm -hmm. honestly, this kind of stuff is something that we should be getting meaning from. So I really do respect mm -hmm. it. So please tell my uh, audience like where they can get a hold of uh, like get a hold of your product. Like, are you selling sure, like sure. like all over the world as well? Uh, all, right across Canada. So okay. pretty much, yeah, your local store should have it. Your local grocery store. Uh, you can go to eatfatso.com and uh purchase through our website you can also donate um in five dollar increments uh to we just have like an ongoing fund where we'll match everything um and that will go to a worthy cause just depending on what the fuck is happening in the world right now so right now we're supporting the um indian 
um, uh, residential school su 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 survivor society, um, the IRSSS. Uh, so you can go to our website for that. Um, and we'll be actually donating 100% of our profits for any purchases made through our website for the next week. Um, but I guess, I don't know when this is going to come out. Anyways, go to the website. You'll find it, eatfatso.com and social media at eatfatso. <laughs> awesome. Thanks yeah. so much, Jill. This was a great. Awesome, Nora. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was good to meet you. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NoorKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NoorKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often. Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay! Warning!